it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Okay, welcome back to our small second part of our chat about the upcoming game at the weekend, Albion versus Arsenal. And we have our friends from North London with us. Addy, Jason and Matthew, all still here. Hello, boys. Hello, boys. Hello, Russ. Lovely. <laughs> um, we're just going to start chatting. Just a few bits left to talk about. Um, last night's game, we've mentioned the, um, the gestures being made at the beginning of the match. Let's go on to the matches themselves. First of all, um, Arsenal, anything to mention on that game? I know it wasn't great for you guys. 3-0 defeat to City. Louise gets sent off. You've got some injuries potentially there as well. Um, anything positive to take from the game at all? First 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah. But I think we did all right the first 20 minutes, but I think it's just down to individual mistakes as well. That's quite costly. One individual, yeah. maybe. One yeah, an individual yeah. mistake. <laughs> an individual make a mistake. He's not going to be playing against us on Saturday. <laughs> but, um, it's yeah, it's, it's quite frustrating. Obviously, the friendly against Brentford as well, we made three individual mistakes as well, and that obviously led to goals. So it's just concentration and I probably eh, lack of quality as well sometimes. But it's just, as a, as a team, we seem to be going in the right direction and we just shoot ourselves in the foot. And yeah. City wasn't that great yesterday, obviously because of you know circumstances. But yeah, we're, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot as well. So we're not making it any easier for ourselves. Yeah. Matthew, you pretty much feel the same. Yeah, there were there were parts there were parts of of the early stages of the game where you could kind of see what Arteta wants the team to do and how how he wants the team to play and it it flowed quite well it flowed quite smoothly you know we got forward quickly we kind of held a line pretty well but um, you know we had a couple of early injuries had to bring on a couple of players who weren't part of the game plan and then things collapsed really and even even to be honest even before. David Luiz made a mistake. A City could have been two up, really, and Leno kept us yeah. in it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, Addy, did you watch the game as well? Um, yeah, I watched a bit of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, for me, really, it's the injuries. It's Mari and Shaka who are out, um, both bizarrely with ankle injuries. Um, so, yeah, and uh, obviously David Luiz. Um, <laughs> what can you say? Uh, 
you know, a great character and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, yeah, it was his we, World Cup performance from a few years ago in the semi-final, wasn't it? Basically, <laughs> that back did. Well, that's right. Yeah, and he wasn't actually good in that game, to be honest. But but scored an amazing free kick, if I remember correctly. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But but yeah, he he was sort of um, um, a little. You know, uh, lukewarm for me during that tournament. Um, you know, but scored a yeah an amazing goal. But uh, yeah, about the match, it was just um, for me there weren't too many surprises. And uh, yeah, it's we can't really swap like with like. And um, um, you know, it's uh, yeah slightly ominous start yeah. to or restart to the season for me. To be honest, yeah, I mean it was probably the. Better of two not particularly great games played last night. The other one, though, did have a rather interesting incident. Uh, controversy straight away, as I sarcastically referenced at the beginning of this of this show. Um, just before half-time in the Villa-Sheffield United game, the ball clearly went over the line. The goal line technology didn't work. The ref didn't get a buzz on his watch, so therefore couldn't give anything. He couldn't really see. Um, but VAR could have intervened and didn't. The goal wasn't given. Um, they knew about it by half-time, but apparently they weren't allowed in protocol to award the goal at that stage. And that was what would have been the winner if nothing else had happened. Nothing else did happen in the game that did play out. Um, absolute fun. I mean, does anyone want to start on this one? I, I, I feel just like find about it, Oh, no, Peter, go on, yeah. I was going to say, I just find it bizarre that the ball was literally behind the post on the screen. <laughs> I mean, it was so obviously in. It wasn't even like there was like, sometimes you think, oh, it must be in. And it's like a millimetre over the line, not quite over the line. But it was literally behind the post, which is on the line. Yeah. So they actually made like, it. It's not like they didn't have any time to react. Yeah. Because we all saw it before, you know, a few more seconds of play. The VAR could have overruled it. And that's, and I mean, yeah. Hmm. And I'll let Robin talk about VAR because I know he's a big fan. Yeah, I mean, the issue, the issue I've got with, with that is that VAR has basically meant that linesmen don't actually do anything anymore. <laughs> because surely if you're a linesman, you're there, you can see it. You don't need VAR. Like, he was standing behind the goal line holding the ball. Yeah. Like, as a liner, you can see that. And that's yeah. why I think these days, a lot, that's when a linesman actually needs to go, I don't care whether the technology is not working, that was in. Well, that's my thing with the offside thing all along. You know, they kind of, they basically don't flag. So, as I've mentioned numerous times, for example, the David Luiz goal, disallowed goal at your place. If, <laughs> Matt, Ryan, if Matt Ryan has saved that, that's a corner because the linesman hasn't flagged because he, he's not supposed to flag because they leave it to VAR. So, you guys get a corner and then score, you've got the corner through a VAR from offside. When the linesman normally, without VAR, would have spotted that because it was a mile offside. I think they I mean, should still makes, allow the linesman to just flag, let yeah. the referee see it, but not act on it. Let the play carry on. He's seen the flag, so he knows what the linesman thinks, yeah. or thinks he thinks. Also, don't and then they you can let, let it play out and then have a look. They've got an earpiece, right, don't they, between the linesman and the referee? Yeah. yeah. The linesman doesn't have to put his flag up. He can, go, he can actually just go, I think that might be in. You need to check that. Yeah. Well, wouldn't, but wouldn't then you, you have can... thought the referee would have asked him as well, if his, if his watch didn't buzz, and obviously the players are reacting in a, a way where they think it's a goal. Yeah, surely the referee. I suppose he probably thinks it's kind of like his watch is flawless. I suppose. Yeah, and it's it, it, every it knows That's everything. Relying and it relies on technology. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was, they said that the Hawkeye, the company that actually run it, released a statement to say that's the only time it's uh, it's happened in nine thousand games. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm, that is I'm the other side. You know, it, it's it, these things happen with technology. Every now and then, something will go wrong. But you expect the referee, the linesman. Yeah. And the fact that we have VAR 
to make up for that mistake, you know? And it, yeah, it's just mad. Well, and like Jason's absolutely right. The fact that everyone was, all the players were so convinced that it was a goal, surely as a referee, you go, well, I've not had a buzz. I'll go and ask the linesman. And the linesman go, yeah, the goalkeeper was standing behind the line holding the ball. So that's probably a goal. Yeah. And you look at the keeper, like he knew it was in. He looked really guilty. Yeah. He, he was like, yeah. I've got yeah. away with this one afterwards. I mean, the but, fact is, given the fact that where those t- where Villa are, I mean, if Villa now end up staying up by a point, it's a massive financial. Yeah, although loss. I, I commented on our on our WhatsApp group yesterday, I was I'd be more annoyed about the, the soft sending off of Moy up there when we were dominant at one nil <laughs> than uh, than I would be about that decision. We were absolutely hammering Pete, them at one nil. Peter's mentioned that a few times before as well. Moy, I do have my I have my bugbears. Leeds fans boy. among them. I was going to say Moy kicked the ball away a very short distance. It was, it was pretty harsh to give him a second yellow. And Tyrone Mings carried the ball about three or four times that distance by holding it in his hand, walking off somewhere and then dumping it on the floor. Yeah. Um, so how come that's not a yellow if Moyes is? Oh, the referee's a Leeds fan, Pete. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering yesterday, you know, the, the whole Bundesliga thing about home advantage. I did wonder if they just like for the goal decision system, they decide whether it's a home thing because mm. basically, you know, they're trying to even it up for home teams now to make it home advantage count. So the home team decides whether the goal decision system is turned on or not for a decision, and if it's if they don't like it, then they can just turn it off, like Villa did yesterday. Technology as well in, in the game. I'm obviously I'm skeptical, but Hawkeye for me, I'm a massive fan of it. VAR, I hate it. Yeah. But yeah, for, for Hawkeye to go wrong, I was really disappointed. Just let me down. Yeah, that, so that was the fact that it's been 9,000. I've, I've been exactly yeah. the same as you, Pete. Or we've had, Pete and I have had arguments about this plenty of times. I am, with, Hawk, with goal line technology, I was on board because it was instant. And like mm. you say, it was, there was no real debate over it because it was instant and it had the right answer. So now, it's like 2020 all over. Now things that I thought were... For normal, <laughs> but of, all, of all the games to get it wrong in as well, of the nine thousand games it's been yeah. going on in, to get it wrong in the first game after lockdown well, for a hundred days. I think and... they did. It, I think they did it deliberately to detract from the fact that football with no fans in the ground is really boring. Maybe they'll start from further. Well, it's it was a hell of an incident, and obviously being a relegation uh, related game as well that's going to be very contentious and Champions League related as well Sheffield United would have been fifth if they won that game exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. it worked out well for us I still think you're in with a Champions League shout then oh yes (laughs) (laughs) we're going to go on an unbeaten run to the end of the season now after you you lose on Saturday of course yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're we're going to come to that in just a moment but before we do um, Robin, you got into the news in, to some degree, certainly in social media circles at least, um, during the week, because you are also um, collaborating with Josh on his podcast together, um, which he, uh, he lives in the States, but does a regular one there. You, you got uh, Gus Poet on, didn't you, for his first discussion about the Albion specifically, and extensively, I happen to hasten to add, um, since he left us seven years ago. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, it was a bit strange. Uh, Josh and I started a segment on the podcast um, when I first got involved, actually, which was basically trying to do where are they now, essentially. We would talk about a few old players. Um, and then we thought, should we try and get some old players on? And we got, this is going to be very dull for the Arsenal lot here. But, um, <laughs> we got uh, Andrew Crofts on was the first one we got, who, for the Arsenal guys, benefits if you don't know, he played, he played for us a couple of times 
played 150, 200 games probably, and is now one of the under-23 coaches. So we had him on. We had Alan Navarro on, who was a similar player from that. The player that we had on that you probably have heard of is Bruno, who was our, who's played for us right in the back. Premier League. Um, we had him on. And to be honest, the whole, seg- the whole point of the segment was to basically try and get Gus Poyet on at some point. That was the only reason for really having it. Um, but we had no way of really getting to him. And we looked in the news. No one had chatted to him. It was like he just disappeared in terms of his Brighton stuff. No one had ever talked about it. Because I'm sure you guys will probably remember uh, it was a pretty acrimonious exit. He was, well, sacked live on Match of the Day, if you remember that, when he was a pundit. Um, yeah. The news came through that he had been sacked. Um, so it, it's never been dealt with by anyone in the media. And it was really bizarre. Um, and being based up in the Northeast, I know quite a lot of people that are involved at Sunderland, where, of course, he was manager after he left us. Um, and he did a Sunderland podcast about a month or so ago um and the guy that i knew who was involved in that basically managed gave me his number pretty much so i had a um pretty lengthy whatsapp conversation with him and basically said do you fancy coming on i was thinking he's going to say absolutely not um but he was like yeah let's do it tomorrow i'm keen let's get it done <laughs> um and he gave us two hours of his time um and comfortably it could have been five hours he would have been happy going he was at the only reason he stopped is he ran out of battery on his laptop um, and he gave us two hours of, um, he was brilliant, actually. The first hour and a bit, we covered all the good stuff, the 99% of his time at Brighton that was, you know, brilliant. Again, for your benefit, that that season that we had, League One, that we won in 2010, 2011, is probably the best season that I've seen Brighton play, even taking into account the Premier League years, the top end of the Championship years. It was pound for pound, the best football I've seen and probably will ever see Brighton play. There was a couple of games back to back that you guys have probably heard Russ talk about where we went away to um, Charlton who were unbeaten at the time and we won four nil away from home. And it was the most, it was the, it is to this day, the perfect away performance. We followed up, we're going to Peterborough the week after and we beat them three nil in a game that could have been eight or nine nil and no one would have complained. And the interesting thing about the podcast is that Gus actually said that after that 3-0 Peterborough game, he actually had uh, people from academies all around the country actually wanting to get a copy of the DVD of that game as a, a way of playing football, pretty much. Mm. So we had all of the good stuff. And then for the last 40 minutes or so, we managed to swing it onto his sacking, pretty much, and all of the stuff around that. And he was pretty controversial. Uh, as you'd imagine, if you've heard him speak before, he was very honest. He was very open within the bounds of what he could say from a legal point of view. But he was um, he was pretty scathing about certain certain people who are still at the club. Um, he didn't name any names, but I think if you're a Brighton fan, in fact, probably if you're a football fan who's got any knowledge of the club, you will know exactly who he was talking about when he was having a fairly uh, a fairly pointed accusation. At one point, uh, he said that the club were childish because they'd never invited him back in the seven years that he, since he's been gone. He has basically been airbrushed out of history, which is a bit of a shame because that 2010-2011 season basically started... He changed the entire ethos of the club. The entire culture of the club was changed into one that had a winning mentality. And not an arrogance, but a confidence that we could play good football at a higher level than we've been playing for a very long time. So there's no way, in my view, that we'd be in the Premier League 
if we hadn't had those three and a half years of Gus. Um, so it's a bit sad that, that, that the club haven't, haven't acknowledged it. But I suppose the flip side is that he was sacked for gross misconduct. So it's probably unlikely that there's going to be a, you know, a particularly friendly sense of feeling. But um, he did particularly go after one, one, uh, one individual uh, and did reference that really things started to change when, when there were changes in the boardroom. He referenced himself that he he got to the stage where he had too much power. Basically, um, he had more power than a manager probably should have, uh, and a new person was brought into the boardroom who didn't like that, and that was the kind of the start of the um, the start of the, the breakdown of the relationship. And obviously, famously, it all came to a head after we lost to Crystal Palace in the playoff. You've probably seen all the stuff. There was the the famous poo gate with the all of the stuff in the dressing room before the game. We didn't dwell on that particularly because there's not much to say about it. It's what already I did been ask, mentioned, isn't it? Um, yeah. that it was, essentially, it was the Palace coach driver Yeah, um, after all that. They used it as motivation the, to win the game. Yeah, the most interesting bit was I said to him, what he was saying is that the club basically used, used that game and the fallout from that game as a convenient excuse to get rid of him, particularly this individual who hasn't named, um, who but we can guess who it is. Um, and obviously, I will say the club haven't had a chance to respond to these accusations in their own right. This is we've just reported word for word what, what Gus has said. So I will say that. Um, but I asked him, well, if we'd have won that game at home, we'd have won that semi-final. We go to Wembley, we win at Wembley and we go to the Premier League. What happens? Because he's still the manager and you've still got this big clash well, from his perspective, you've got a big clash behind the scenes between him, him and, uh, and someone at board level. So I said, well, you know, what happens then? Because essentially the situation's not been resolved. And he, his exact words were, that person would have to shut up. <laughs> it ha- has to be said that, um, obviously, I, I love watching the football that he put out. Was, we had some brilliant years with him, but he has fallen out with a lot of boards since as well. Yeah, he has. We're, we're not the only club he's fallen out with yeah, and left on bad terms with. Yeah, no, you're, that, and that's, that's a very fair clarification. And actually, the other thing I will say is that he has, he did admit, it's the first time I've ever heard of, he, he's got a very strong ego, massive ego, but that, is, that basically defines who he is. That's I think character, isn't it? If you remove that ego from him, then he's not the same person. He's not well, a lot of the best managers and players have big egos, but yeah. yeah. But uh, the one thing I will say is that he had, he did, there were various times where the ego has definitely softened because he, he heaped most of the praise as should be on the players for that 2010-2011 season. He said, you know, we got them to play a different brand of football, but actually it's on them. They actually had to go out and perform. And so that was the first bit. And the second bit about his departure from the club, he did acknowledge to an extent his own faults in the, in the proceedings, which he's never done before. I mean, he's never, obviously he's never spoken about it before. So we've never heard it, but he did, obviously, you know, he said, I got too much power and it got to the stage where it was unmanageable, basically. So it's the first time we've ever, he's ever actually kind of displayed probably as close to humility as we're going to get from him. I mean, the yeah. bottom line was that he said, you know, it's still, for him, it's still his, his best time as a manager. He's still got great affection for the club. He's still in touch with all the players from that squad, which is true because when we tweeted out the episode, um, four or five members of the squad who are on Twitter were retweeting it and having chats amongst themselves, remind themselves how great it was to play in that team. Um, so he's obviously, 
held in high regard by um, by everyone in that squad. But it's just a shame that you know that the club that they can't put it to mm-hmm. bed. I mean, the interesting thing is next year. Well, next season is going to be ten years since that that season, which is so, quite scary in itself. Yeah, it is in itself. But I mean, <laughs> I think it's got to the stage now where I am cards on the table. I mean, I, I've say my feelings for him are pretty clear. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Um, but I think it is pretty sad that he has been airbrushed out. I think there is a way of acknowledging his contribution to what we've achieved, but without actually, you know, having a full reconciliation. I can see his point that it it does look pretty childish that basically he's been effectively airbrushed out of history. Mm. And a fan fan base point of view, is it, is it, um, do they appreciate him or do they sort of, I, I think he lost a lot from the Palace game because yeah. we lost to Palace in the playoffs and because uh, there's been yeah. a lot of rumours around about what, how he behaved that night. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but there's been a lot of rumours about how he behaved and how he didn't turn up till quite late on that evening and not long before kickoff and yeah. that sort of thing. And the way he was interviewed after the game as well when we'd lost. Yeah. There's been a lot... While I think, I think a lot of fans... In my case, I'm. I think he was brilliant for most of his time there, but I do think there was a lot of. Uh, you know, he did also talk about other clubs like Leeds and and Chelsea a lot, and say you know he was permanently kind of you know trying to suggest that he go somewhere else and that sort of thing. You never felt yeah. he was going to stay. I know he was there for quite a long time in the end, but you never felt he was going to stay long, long term. The thing about it is, that he actually there were a couple of times in the podcast where actually he sort of let let that sort of angle slip, which is where he was. He mentioned a couple of times that about things that he he had to achieve as an individual to get a Premier League job. So he said, for instance, we beat Newcastle twice in a row in the FA Cup when we were in the Championship and they were in the Premier League. And he said, as a manager, that got me, I'm paraphrasing him, but he basically said that got me noticed. So he was obviously in his head, he's talking with the point of view of not necessarily getting Brighton promoted to the Premier League. He's thinking... He's feeling a bigger picture for himself. Yeah, and actually, to be fair to him, the very first question we asked him was, how did your... How did your move to Brighton come about? Because obviously he hadn't had a managerial job before. At that point, we were in league, we were bottom end of League One. We'd only just survived relegation to League Two. We didn't have the Amex at that point. We were at with Dean. We didn't have a training ground. They trained at the university and got changed in porter cabins. We didn't have the biggest budget in the division. So on paper, we're not a particularly attractive proposition for anyone. So I said to him, how did it come about? And he said, basically, personal challenge. I wanted to see, he wanted to see how, he said, Carlton Toby said, I thought I'd get a championship job. And then he said, I didn't get a championship job. So I dropped down to League One and I wanted to see if I could play the football that I thought I, I wanted to in League One. So it wasn't like I saw Brighton particularly as an opportunity. It was more like, here's a club. This is the highest up the divisions that I've been offered a job. And I'm going to yeah. go there and I'm going to see if I can play the kind of football that they've not seen in League One. And hats off to him, he did. And he did, yeah. the EFL, and I've never seen a team, probably even in the Championship, play the kind of football that we played in that League One season. So all the way through, his ego still has gone through. Um, yeah. That is part of who he is. But I think yeah. Pete's point about the fact it was Palace, I asked him that directly. I said, mm. he lost, from my point of view, if he'd have, after he left, Couple of well, the next season we got in the playoffs again under Oscar Garcia. He used to play for Barcelona, and he lost in the playoffs to Derby. Obviously, you know we got no particular rival with Derby. So I said to Gus, if you'd have been in that position and you'd have lost to Derby and not Palace, 
the fallout wouldn't have been as big, obviously. But he still said, no, the fact that there was this clash in the boardroom basically meant that they would have still used it. In his opinion, they'd have still used it. But, but the fan fallout, I think, would have been less big. I think yeah, it's, exactly. that was the my fact point. that Palace got the four years ahead of us in the Premier League. And, yeah. and also, I think the fact he released Murray to them as well. Well, let, I, mean, well, I know you obviously said that, yeah, but the fact yeah, we lost Murray yeah. to, to them and whatever you might say either way on a free and then he basically got them promotion. Yeah, it's not good. But I mean, the bottom line was that, yeah, I mean, it was rounding up what has already been quite a long, <laughs> long, long description. So apologies. But um, no, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, rounding what, up, what I mean, from our point of view, sorry, sorry go on. I was going to say, from our point of view, it was quite cool that we were the first people out of anyone. I mean, I'm not going to classify us as media, um, but the first people out of anyone, really, who's managed to get him to talk. And the bizarre thing is, is that the fact that no one in the local, no one in the local press has gone after him in the last seven years. I mean, to be honest, I think if I can get hold of him and get him to go on the podcast, I'm sure any of the local media would have been able to do the same. So that's why it's another quite odd thing, which is that... Sorry. Yeah. It's almost like everyone's been. It's almost like he's been. He's been yeah. declared as sort of off limits mm. for anyone to go and talk to. Mm. Do you know yeah. manager now? Is he? Is he? No, he, he, no he's. Bordeaux, he got sacked by Bordeaux fairly recently. Yes, uh, I remember. Yeah, he's been on a world odyssey a bit since since he left Sunderland. He's been to France, Greece, China, Correct. Spain at one point. Was he? Yeah, he, went to, he was at Betis, and he said yeah. the last. You were mentioning Leganes earlier. That was the last job that he was he was offered the job and didn't take it. Um, so yeah, I mean he's it's a real was, shame because he's got real abilities. I mean, he was brilliant yeah. for us genuinely, but, but he's, yeah, you he's, feel he's, his ego's always a little bit got in the way. Maybe yeah, a bit too much. Right club. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, the thing is, he said, "Oh, he said, you know, I've never been invited back to Brighton, but I've been invited back everywhere else." And I sort of said, "Well, you were everywhere else. You've sort of you've not been sacked for gross misconduct anywhere else." So that's <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably one of the reasons you want to go back. But wasn't he sacked from Bordeaux for calling the chairman something pretty unpleasant, or having a go at the chairman yeah, in public, yeah. or something? So he's, he's still very much like kind of getting into arguments with the board and that sort of thing. Isn't he? Yeah, so. I, I mean, like, the, the interesting thing about it is just to close it off is that the it's had a lot of well, it's had a it's had a fair amount of attention on Twitter amongst Brighton fans, and it's one of the big sort of fan websites that's got 60,000 followers on Twitter has done a summary article of it. So it, it is a story. And the weird thing is, is that resolutely no one in the local, no one in the local press has picked up on it and even mentioned it. Like there's just been a wall of silence. I wasn't expecting it to be like a national story that, you know, would go you know, around the football press, but I was expecting the local press to even acknowledge it and go, here's an, here's a, you know, hmm. Gus has finally spoken, but there's literally has been nothing, not a word. Embargoed. Basically, it, and, and yeah, Gus said, strange. What, what Gus is saying, so he said, this, this doesn't happen by accident. And I agree with him, it doesn't, it can't happen by accident because it's literally, it's been nothing. Oh, murder. Yeah. yeah. That is strange. It's a proper, yeah. like, I'm, I'm careful in that I don't want to criticise the club because there are two sides to every story and I'm not going to, I'm not going to back Gus totally on it because take everything he says with a pinch of salt because that's the kind of guy he is. But I I can see his point of view in that it does look like there's been some kind of mafia style. <laughs> you know, like Has the club there. responded um, or made a statement about it since? Or yeah, literally, there's been nothing. And I would say I was I was I was potentially expecting maybe one of the local journalists who covers the patch to 
not you know not go wild for it, but maybe even just make mention of the fact that he's finally broken his silence but yeah nothing at all which is bizarre i mean i do know that the club of someone in the club has heard it because bruno who was on the show who actually gus brought to the club sent me a message to say that he was he was listening to it and he's, and he's a coach of the club he's the first team, he's the first yeah. team, one of the first team coaches at the moment um so I, I know that the club will be aware of it. So anyway, mm. it is what it is. They're probably going to yeah. ignore it. I mean, I, I was just going to say that we, we had him at Seagulls over London in 2011. Uh, most of the way, I think it was somewhere, somewhere about February of the of that glorious season. We got promoted as champions in League One. And, um, you know, he is, he is very, very charismatic, passionate, articulate, enthusiastic. He is an egotist as well. He's a lovable hothead. He's all of those things. He is frustrating. We constantly got nervous about him mentioning other clubs that he might want to aspire to manage one day. Um, and ironically, though, we did have him for about four years or more, I think. And oh, was it three? Yeah, four years, I think. So, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a weird, weird one. I think ultimately the fans do love him for what he did well. And I think most of them or a lot of them are frustrated about how it ended. And some of them do yeah. seem to blame him. Whether the game promoted right. for the Amex was the best thing ever, wasn't it? It was kind of like kind of literally the ideal timing that we couldn't possibly yeah. have. Because that left us in the championship for our first season at the Amex. So, yeah. Yeah, but I, I still think it, almost the best thing about him is having Tariko as his assistant, who was, if anything, even more crazy than him and like, even more volatile. And playing like 15 games coming out of <laughs> retirement and getting sent off twice when he was assistant manager and yeah. coming on the pitch. <laughs> and just... Yeah. Anyway. Of course, experts. So we've we've upset our yeah. friends again now. Oh dear, and, and boys, of course. As well. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I mean, it's interesting. We'd like to get him on maybe at some point as well. Yeah, I think it'd be um, useful. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, um, yeah, obviously, it, it, you know, it's one side of the story, and he's yeah. obviously going to give his his view of it. Yeah. But I think certainly it helped. The over, the underlying point was that basically when because the club have said nothing in the last seven years, and mm. Poyet said nothing in the last seven years naturally everyone else has filled in the gap with rumour which is naturally what happens so I mean now at least he has had his say whether our aim was basically to get him to give his side of the story and then make up their own mind about it you can listen to it and say do you believe him or not fair enough I can see people might listen to that and go that's the same old Gus from before I'm not going to believe him we've seen there's been a few people we've had comments on on social media from people who have change their mind about what they thought based on him actually giving his mm. side of the story. So, I mean, it was useful to give people an insight into what he said. You know, it's, it is one of our most successful periods, certainly in recent history. So for people to be able to hear and make up their own mind, and I'm mm. very clearly not siding. I'm not saying, <laughs> in, case, <laughs> in case there's anyone listening, I'm very much not siding with, uh, with either the club or Gus. I've just... Yeah. I don't know, it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very clear. I can see his point of view on what he said, but um, obviously the club have not had a chance to, um, to yeah. respond with their side. It'll be interesting to see if they will. I mean, I think they either come out with a robust response or they, they just blank it out, don't they? Really? Honest, I, think. I, think, I think if this interview had happened five weeks ago when there was literally nothing happening in terms of mm. the football restarting. Then they may have, they may more, they may have not been forced into it, but they might have felt compelled to because there was nothing else to fill the, 
you know, to yeah. fill the gap, as it were. But now, the, yeah. you know, we're two days away from the season starting, so it's very easy to, to ignore. Yeah, it'll be yesterday's news by the first game coming out, probably, yeah. 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 Anyway, it was useful. But to be honest, I'd have enjoyed those two hours if no one had listened to it. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt most of the time during lockdown <laughs> doing the podcast. You know, I've, I've had fun, even if you don't get many, you know, people listening, whatever. And hopefully, we yeah, we're, we're wittering on it, and probably yeah. no one's listening, actually. It's been quite uh, a talk about football, you know, which obviously yeah. it's been not really around the last hundred days. But we've just talked about football nonstop with like kind of former bright, best Brighton teams and worst Brighton teams and rubbish like that. And no one else really cares about probably. But <laughs> I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring it back to football. I'm going to slightly off feast. I want to ask Arsenal guys a question. For me, when I was growing up, I first started watching football kind of early '90s onwards, right? So Premier League is pretty. The start of the Premier League is pretty much when I started watching football. That's my age group. So obviously, I grew up with Arsenal being, and I don't want to kind of depress you at this point, but I grew up <laughs> with Arsenal. Obviously, us not being in the Premier League, you know, third division, whatever. I grew up with Arsenal being one of the proper elite teams, you know, seeing them win the double, go unbeaten, et cetera, et cetera. Do you guys, you obviously, you see, do you see yourselves now a step down from that? You must do. Or do you still see yourself in that kind of elite? And if you don't, if you see yourself as you've now fallen out of that, what do you think you need to do to get back into that proper title conversation? Obviously it's not, you know, win trophies. It's more, what do you think you actually need to change? Does the culture of the club need to change? Do you just need to spend more money? What do you think it is? That's a, that's a great question. Um, when uh, I was a kid, apart from the anecdote I shared, which I don't remember, as a, a baby slamming on, on the window uh, when Arsenal won um, the Cup in 72, um, I remember when I was very very young the matches I saw on TV were mainly Liverpool uh it was a, I can't remember if it was called World of Sport or uh the big match or it was called something or other but um I used to watch a lot of Liverpool matches they just used to show like one match a week kind of thing um and bizarrely uh things have come a bit full circle um past couple of seasons uh certainly this season with Jurgen Klopp um what he's doing at Liverpool a manager I'd would have loved to have come, um, mm. you know, uh, to um, uh, to Arsenal. Uh, was it Leverkusen he was at? I can't remember now. Um, uh, Dortmund. 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 Uh, Dortmund, of course. Sorry. And uh, um, so, yeah, strangely, it's, um, you know, the, uh, a strong manager is w- what I think we need. I think, uh, um, and we've discussed it, before, you know, central midfield, a Vieira type, but, you know, it would be great to wake up to an Arsenal one day that has a really strong spine of what probably one of the best Man United, you know, um, an equivalent of a, a Van der Zaar, an equivalent of a Skulls, an equivalent of a, um, a, a Rooney and a, a Vidic at his best. Um, it would be great to see some really strong, um, Strong kind of, you know, almost like a no frills, um, but they can turn it on if they want to Arsenal. So, and, and board change, um, you know, I think there's something at an executive level needs to change. But you've got um, Asha Uzmanov, you've got a lot of these big money people up there. Um, and I understand they run Arsenal as a business, but, you know, unless you're willing, I don't know what the other gooners here will think, or what you <laughs> 
But these days, unless you're willing to shell out some serious, serious money, um, you know, you're, you're just not going to be able to compete with, um, uh, with the, the, you know, the Man Cities now and the Liverpools and certainly in the Champions League. So, uh, so they, they are kind of strange days. And as I did joke about being ninth, I, I kind of know what it's like to <laughs> feel like a Tottenham supporter because <laughs> they're always sort of like um, uh, middling towards the end of the season, uh, the tail end of the season. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I guess it's a, maybe it's a dose of reality. Um, you know, no, the business, to me, the business, the running as a business question, that is, that is it, because you can't continue to run Arsenal like a business when the other teams around you aren't doing that. Mm. To me, if you've got Man City... Oh, it's, it's laudable to do it, but I just think in these days, you're not going to win stuff consistently unless you match them. It's the wrong However, way to do it. However, you, you look at Liverpool, for example. Liverpool have spent a lot of money, but they've they've recouped a lot of money from selling players for seventy odds, eighty odd million pounds. You know, um, and and they've they they've not gone out and broken the bank to do that. They have they've made money. They've spent the money, so it can be done. You look at how how Liverpool have done it. They have spent big at the back, though, which you guys don't seem to want to they do have really. Done. They have done, but it's been it's been money they've made through player sales and and whatever else. You know, it's not it's not a Man City where you've got somebody who's just come and pumped hundreds of millions of pounds into the club or a Chelsea. I meant more. You guys don't seem inclined to spend big at the back. It's more kind of um, on wingers and attackers rather than yeah, defenders sure. at times. You're sure, not really. really I don't know what your record signing at the back is, but it's it's not huge. I wouldn't have thought. Probably Mustafi, thirty-five million. Yeah, <laughs> look how that went. Exactly, <laughs> that's what he went. Don't spend big at the back. <laughs> but I think with Liverpool, Liverpool they spend. Um, they know what they're looking at, particularly in certain areas. Like obviously, they looked at Van Dijk. They waited for Van Dijk. Same with Edison. They waited for Edison as well. So they had the plan, and I think the reason why they are where they are without spending heavily is because they had the plan as well. With Arsenal, I think Arsenal are. They're sort of going by the reputation. And I think the reputation is hanging by a thread. And I think we've got owners like Stan Kroenke. You know, they're the ones who actually stopping Arsenal from progressing. Yeah, there doesn't so, seem to be that boardroom vision that there was uh, before. I think since David Dean left, problems yeah. have, have, have abounded, haven't they? That's been, yeah. for me, it looks, from the outside looking in, it looks like that was the start of the problems. And yeah. they haven't really got resolved since. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a strategy point, isn't it? I mean, you get the feeling that Liverpool and Man City are planning like two, three seasons ahead. You always mm-hmm. say, oh, in terms of gaps in their team. Mm-hmm. Whereas I always get the feeling that Arsenal are going, right, we need a, in the summer, we're going to need a midfielder. And then everyone yeah. knows we need a midfielder. So if you're the selling club, you can it's go, true. Arsenal need a yeah. midfielder. So if you want him, it's going to be 70 odd million. Barrel, if everyone knows that. that it might the team, the yeah. teams are taking each. Sorry, go on, Ali. No, I was just going to say, uh, Robbins is exactly right because then it's a it's a seller's market, isn't it? So, yeah, um, you know, it's uh, um, yeah, we we don't really seem to yeah strategize, and it, it's quite it's quite frustrating as well. So, um, you know, we we let some great buys uh, out of our fingers as well. So, yeah, it's, it's insanity. Well, I guess yeah. we should say that obviously there was the em- I mean, obviously having there was the when you moved into the Emirates, there was obviously a period of having to pay yeah, quite pay it back. amount of money for that, which is obviously, which Tottenham might find over the next few years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a billion quid to pay back. 
Well, they've just taken a loan from the Bank of England as well, haven't they? Yeah, so I mean, I think Tottenham and Tottenham are going to find much the same. That if you've got that capital outlay and you've not got an owner who's necessarily going to... Obviously, if it was Tony Bloom, he'd write a cheque for a billion pounds. Everyone knows that, but... Um, well, the, the worry is for like the Arsenal and Tottenham probably is that you know City and Liverpool and City look pretty well clear anyway. Chelsea are spending big already. They've got Zayech and Werner in, so yeah. you know United probably will spend big. I imagine this summer even with all the restrictions. So, are you going to end up? Is it the top four going to become pretty much set already? Well, it's Leicester, Leicester as well. Leicester, yeah. they've got a squad capable of being in the top four for the next two or three years as well. So. If yeah. they can keep certain hold of them, of course, that's yeah, the issue. There's, there's certain teams coming and going past Arsenal. Mm. It's, 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 yeah. We're sort of playing catch-up. The conclusion is that you need, you basically need someone in the board, at board level, who's that's where it starts pretty from, much yeah. a football, who's a football person who can actually strategize beyond yeah. just one yeah. team. Well, I'm, 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 I've got faith in, in Edu, actually. Um, I think, you know, he's he's a football man. He's come in as our director of football or whatever the specific job title is that he has. And and he's someone who, who is at that kind of, that gap between the board and, and you know, the, the managing staff, the playing, the playing staff. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful we'll see something develop from that. We'll see something develop from having Arteta... Um, you know, take the helm and because he seems Arteta seems like somebody who's got vision, who knows what he wants from his team more so than um, Emery did, for example. Um, mm. And you know, and he, he's not taking any nonsense from players either. He's got his way of doing things. If you don't like it, see you later. And you look at what's what's happening with Mesut Özil again um, at the moment. It's it, it seems like he might be being frozen out. Um, you know, um, I think if you, if you think about, okay, well, who are Arsenal? Where have we been? We're we're a team that have had barren periods throughout our history. You know, until uh, the longest we've been without winning the league was what seventy one to eighty nine. That was eighteen years. We're coming up to that again. Um, and I guess what what changed at that time was we had George Graham come in. It was a former player. You know, young manager who didn't have much kind of of a kind of reputation coming with him at the time as well, and maybe we've got a similar situation again, and I hope we do. And also, what came back with him was the defence, and that's is that like, going back to it again. I, it sounds crazy because he's not played a lot for us this season, but someone like Shane Duffy actually would be really good for you guys—a proper defender, not someone like Louise, who is basically a glorified defender who doesn't actually defend, but someone who actually. Heads clear and defends and dives in front of the ball and blocks it. And I think Lewis Dunk is the man, to be honest. I think a lot of people like, who is this? I'm, trying to, I'm trying to sell Duffy, though, because he's not as good as Lewis Dunk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't I, play I, that, Shane, sorry. I've reached the stage with Dunky where I actually want to go and see him play for a top, well, I was going to say top four, top six club, but maybe we're talking top nine. <laughs> top, <laughs> top nine club. Thank you. Of <laughs> course, top ten. We're a top ten club. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's still underrated, in my opinion. Yeah. People still don't. I mean, he should have got more games for England. Not on any other basis, on the fact that he's a better player than Michael Keane. He's at least as good. I mean, as to be fair, on that basis, player. almost anyone could play from England. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, look, we're playing you guys on Saturday. Um, I don't know if we're going to bother predicting who's going to be in the starting lineup for the Albion. 
because that's like predicting the lottery win uh, lottery numbers. I think uh, I saw the thing. I came up with three earlier who I thought were pretty confident would start, and other yeah. than that, I've I've literally no idea. And who are they? Ryan, obviously, is uh, one. Ryan Dunk, Dunk. and uh, Proper. I'm pretty confident yeah. will start. Yeah, that's about that's it. My... Yeah, we're hoping to see Alex uh, Alexis McAllister, who's this guy we signed, obviously of Scottish origin, but an Argentinian who's been over here since Jan and obviously hasn't had a chance to play much. He's the proper deal in terms of what we've seen him play so far. We just need to see if he can assimilate himself to the English league in these few games. He could be the joker in the pack. Aside from him, more pay still has something to offer. Trossard's a good player on his day. We're going to need to be at our best and whoever we play in that match. We need to score some goals. That's the yeah. that's what we've struggled with all three seasons really in Premier League. Absolutely. Far so in the Brighton, odd spell. Brighton predictions from you two. How are we going to do, first of all? I still think we'll go down. I think the, the lack of home advantage in the games like Arsenal and Man U will cost us yeah. points and, and I think we'll and, go down by a couple of points. And on Saturday, result? Any Draw, idea? I'd say. Draw. Okay, Robin? Um, on those two things? I mean, Peter and I have sort of swapped roles because actually I think we're going to be all right just in terms of staying up. Ooh, this is ironic. It's <laughs> changed. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is unheard of. Um, yeah, I think, You're going to be backing VAR soon. I think we're going to be, <laughs> be all right on the basis that um, there are clubs out there who are below us who have got even worse run-ins. I mean, Bournemouth mm-hmm. loves just lost Ryan Fraser's just down tools, you know, with how many games to go. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be all right just. In terms of Saturday... I really don't know because it's just such an unknown how we're going to do with no one in the crowd. Probably a draw. Yeah. I think it's probably the fairest result. But I mean, I, it's one of those ones I really wouldn't be surprised with. I wouldn't be surprised if we won 3 0. I wouldn't be surprised if we lost 3 0. So, yeah. yeah. And the Gooners. Right, Matthew first. Uh, how, are we, how are you going to do Saturday and where are you going to finish in the season? Saturday, uh, I'm going to say 2 0 Arsenal because, mm-hmm. and, uh, but but every time I think I, I think we'll do well against Brighton, as I said earlier, you turn us over. So exactly, uh, keep talking, Matthew. Anyway, keep two two nil two nil nil. Yeah, good, good. Like um, it. You've got it recorded. Where will we finish. <laughs> what was that? We've got it recorded now. You can't oh, take cheers. it back. Yeah, thanks, yeah. You, can, you can play it back to me after. Um, where where are we can finish. I have no idea. I'm going to go with seventh. That's where I think we'll finish. Yeah. Uh, Jason? I think I think we'll probably sneak it 2-1. I don't think we've won at the Amex since we've been, no. we been in the Premier League. No, we've obviously won in the FA Cup there. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think we'll sneak it 2-1. Um, I, I, I feel we, we probably just have enough, I think, on away victory even though we've been pretty dire away but I think we may just have enough um, in terms of finishing in the league I reckon yeah probably about 7th or 8th as well we've still yeah. got pretty tough games coming up as well so um, it's just it's just a throw of a dice you know I don't, at the moment there's just no form so yeah, it's hard to predict all you can say is you've got um, you're the away team that, that puts the odds in your favour straight away <laughs> behind closed doors doesn't it <laughs> And Addy, what do you reckon Saturday and for the season? Uh, again, hard to predict because um, yeah. you know uh, the layoff has been so long. So um, you know it's it's really tough for the players. It will be a different kind of football. But I think um, I think Brighton will probably score 
first, but we're going to come back and win. I think it will be 3-1 to Arsenal. Mm, okay, but, interesting. Yeah, with Brighton to score first. You think we'll score? Yeah. That's very yeah. optimistic. <laughs> yeah, that's what was interesting. Would it, would it be an own goal or something? Was that? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen our defence? Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, our second leading scorer this season is own goals. So <laughs> <laughs> He's been good for us, actually. I think Malpay's yeah. got eight yeah. and own goals has got four, I think, is the next, <laughs> the next top scorer. I think Webster's got four as well, hasn't he? Oh, maybe Webster's got all eight. So he's equal <laughs> with own goals. And Watford have all... got two of them for us. They all count. Right, well, we'll see. Um, maybe get you back on afterwards. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Matthew won't show, of course, as usual. Uh, <laughs> Unless Arsenal <laughs> <but> win. <laughs> if we don't get you back on afterwards, we can certainly get you on next season start, if we're still in the Premier League. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Thanks for coming on, guys. So, Matthew, Addy, Jason, regular guest, Robin, join us. Thanks for everybody. And we're going to play out with something appropriate for you guys. Here we go. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Podcast Network.